Hello! This is, for the record, a new series of conversations among the Archival Studies faculty at the University of the Philippines School of Library and Information Studies. In each episode, we'll look at issues and experiences with records in our everyday life. I am Nathan Isip, and with me are fellow faculty members, Bono Olgado, who is currently on study leave pursuing his PhD in the University of California, Irvine, and Dr. Ira Benrosto-Cabag. Okay, so for the record, I am not a medical doctor, so I cannot give you a diagnosis, proper diagnosis, if you're feeling symptoms of COVID. But indeed, this pandemic makes us um, see and realize that we are surrounded and moving in a series of records and various documentation processes. And now more than ever, uh, we're becoming more aware of the use of records, especially as a form of control. So we see that different governments and different agencies are using records for them to, to control the people and also control the spread of pandemic or this COVID-19 disease. So um, countries all over the world have been on lockdown. And here in the Philippines, our fiscal movements have been limited for two months already. And for us to be able to go out and do essential um, activities like buying food, buying medicine, or going to work if you're a frontliner, you need an identification record or a quarantine pass. And that is a vital record that we see every day or and we use them every day. And for people to receive cash emergency subsidy from the government, they need to accomplish the SAC form and secure the social amelioration card. So just like the quarantine pass, it's a vital record that people need and has become a point of discussion in, in the news, if you're still watching the news, and, and, now, and even in our neighborhood every day. So going back to the quarantine pass, uh, to that vital record, so Jonathan, do you have it? Yes, uh, we have a quarantine pass right here. Just to set the context for the quarantine pass, the reason we have a quarantine pass is because the government is imposing a one-person-per-household policy that is only one person in each household is supposed to be able to go out and buy essential goods. They're issuing this um, quarantine pass. It's a small piece of paper. It shows which barangay issued the pass, who the pass is issued to. So you have your name and address in here. And then it basically says that only one person can come out. You need to have this pass and you need to have an ID 2% um, on demand when you are questioned. Nathan, you just talked about the, the contents of the, that particular record. You said, like, so you have your name on it? Is it right? Yes, and then... that's the name of the authorized person of the household. So for this pass, it's not actually my name because it's another person in our house. So when did you, when did you receive it? When did you get that? And how? That's a really interesting story because they brought in the pass, I think, a week after the lockdown, but we only got it two weeks after the lockdown. They were apparently going around and issuing passes. They said they rang our doorbell and there was nobody home, which is silly because we're all in quarantine when we were all home. I think they actually had a shortage of passes, which is why they used that excuse. And you keep on saying they, who's they, who provided that? The barangay. So the, do the barangay officials or the staff from the barangay go from one household to another household or do you have to go to the barangay to obtain it they said they went around from household to household but what ended up happening was we had to go to the barangay and request for the pass 
which took half a day to get a small piece of paper? I asked because um, we don't have it. Okay. Again, aside from the content, records are highly contextual. Even though we're living in the same country, <laughs> we're both in the Philippines, um, the things that are happening from one city to another um, varies when it comes to confronting this, this pandemic. So even though the, our local government unit um, collected information from the different um, houses, um, we still haven't received our quarantine pass. I'm not sure why. Probably because of, again, some contextual issues. We have the locus, local or community transmission. We have our own testing laboratory. The active contract tracing is in place. So I, I'm sure that's the reason why they're not limiting our movement that much. But still, uh, we're following the protocols. If we have the ally or we have the cat miss, no? <laughs> the, the, only one person can, can go out and do the, the, the buying the groceries and buying the, the medicine. So we still follow those, even without the quarantine pass. Wait, so, so Ira, just to be clear, um, you can go outside without a quarantine pass because you don't have a quarantine pass. Yeah, yeah, we do. But we still follow, in our case, at the micro level, um, there's only one who goes outside to, to, buy, to, to buy medicine. And are they stopped by authorities and asked? No, yeah, we haven't experienced that. So do you even have barriers or boundaries between each barangay? So you still have a you still have a border, but you don't need to present a pass to go through the borders? Probably because we haven't tried um, entering other barangays. Although there are checkpoints, but it's not as strict as other cities, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Probably because, again, we have the lowest community transmission in the city. So I think that's one of the factors why they're not that strict uh, when it comes to putting restrictions in the, you know, in the movement of people. And I guess you're right that it's really highly dependent on context because for our barangay, we don't have a market nearby, which means if oh. we, we want to go shopping for food, we need to go to two barangays away, which means we do need to present the pass. Wait, so Jonathan, given that the pass was issued by your barangay, but it would be checked by another barangay, how can they be sure that the, rec that the pass that you have, the document that you have is authentic, that it is, because I can just randomly make my own pass because they don't know how, what my barangay is record look like they don't know the content or the context or the structure of my barangay's form yeah so um, there's not, right yes indeed you can just make your own quarantine pass i've been looking at this closely and if you look at it the telltale science that it's a photocopy you can see a faded border there's supposedly a border can there you go but it's faded which means it was photocopied the signature of the barangay captain it's also a photocopy. There's no mark at the back to say that it's uh, been signed using a ballpoint or a gel pen. And yeah, anyone can make their own passes. There's no guarantee that this is an original pass. There's a control number that has, the, that has our house number and our street, but it was written after uh, photocopying, which means... Oh. And in fact, I just remembered, when we first got this uh, quarantine pass, there was no name or address in it. It was just a blank piece of paper. It was just a blank form. 
which means I could have photocopied this beforehand before writing the name of this designated person. And then we, ha we could have had multiple quantum passes in our household. Yeah, because I remember seeing on social media, like people posting pictures of their passes. And I've seen like quarantine passes and pink paper. Some are actually like size of a letter size paper, duly laminated. So I'm like, the, there's different structures going on in terms of, of quarantine passes. And to Iris' point, um, emanates from the different contexts of different barangays. Maybe some barangays have more resources than others. Um, or they're servicing uh, people who are from like the middle class, upper class. So they kind of want to make sure that the um, quarantine passes look better. as <laughs> a better structure um, uh, than other barangays. So it's just interesting that there are, uh, that things are not con consistent um, throughout, that there are different versions of they're all called quarantine passes, but it seems like their context, content, and structure are all different, even though technically they should function the same way. So kind of, quite interesting. And I think that's part of a larger context when it comes to the quarantine passes. It's the Philippine government that mandates the issuance of quarantine passes, but the authority who's issuing it is not the Philippine government, it's the local barangays, which means unless the government gives out a standardized form, the barangays can do whatever they want. And it might also be that different barangays have different skill levels when it comes to design and automation. Looking at this one, it's a quarter of an American quarter or what we know as a letter-sized paper. And that means there would have been four passes grouped together in one letter-sized sheet and then it would have been printed out and photocopied. Why not just automate it? You have the list of all the households in your barangays anyway for the purpose of election, which means you could have put all of the names for each household in the spreadsheet, uh, put it to mail merge, and then generated all of the forms with unique control numbers. And that would have made it difficult to falsify a quarantine pass. Yeah, so I think it really has something to do with uh, proper forms management. That Because that would really help the government or even the local government units to standardize and capture the, the correct information that they really needed. For example, even though, okay, they, they want to do it on a pink paper or in a large paper, even in a manila paper, it doesn't matter. As long as um, the, the, these records include the fields of information that have to be filled out. And that should be standardized to ensure that, um, again, again, the critical information will be captured. So if you want to use the record, again, going back to the point of using record as a form of control, if you want to use it as for, for that purpose, you also have to know how to control or how to, to consolidate the information that you are capturing using this forms, using these records. Yeah, so again, um, the content, the context, and the structure, you know, you know this, this qualities, these characteristics, or properties of records are really apparent here um, in the case of our example, the, the quarantine pass. Just piggybacking on what you said, it's just interesting because uh, the quarantine passes issued by the barangay, but the enforcing agencies, which would be the police and the military, are not barangay specific. They cross barangays. So it's like the barangay is issuing the record, but the ones who are actually looking at and assessing the records are not from the barangay. So there's basically you have two um, agencies that are supposed to be working with each other, uh, but that is not the case. Um, so it's if echoing what Iris said, if this 
if this particular record is a mechanism of control, um, it's very difficult to actually um, use it as a form of control precisely because of all of the inconsistencies across the board. Um, it's easy for someone to say, no, no, this is my record. This came from my barangay. And the police or the military won't have any mechanisms to actually confirm or deny, um, which, also, which, also, which is also a problem because on one hand, um, a particular individual can go around the rules, but at the same time, the police and the military can also go around the rules. They can just read out right there, decide, I'm not going to acknowledge your record even though it is legitimate that it came from the brand guy. So like all parties, basically, these are, for me, I think, are all inefficient records, records practices, um, precisely because of, of what we just discussed. So. Yes, <laughs> and talking about legitimization of records, this, if, and especially talking about context of this record, of this quarantine past, what exactly is the quarantine passport? Is it to maintain control over the quarantine? Or is it really more to ensure that people can still access essential goods and essential services while reducing the spread of transmission of the virus? Um, the reason I mentioned that was because there are talks and we, we know people that have been stopped for carrying passes that are not um, named under them. So it's the pass for the household, but they were not the designated person. Mm -hmm. Is the intent of the record to control who can come out, maintaining one person per household? Or is the intent to just say, you're the designated person, you're the chosen one. If it's not you, we're going to take your pass and we're going to arrest you. Yeah, which is also, if you look at the bigger issue with regards to the pandemic, um, all of the health professionals are, are saying that there are two things that we need to do, right? We need to have wider testing um, to make sure to identify who has the virus and who doesn't. And the second thing is to do contact tracing. That particular record does not do either of those two functions. <laughs> it does not identify if you are COVID free or not, nor does it identify or trace or help people trace like where people go. Um, so within the larger context of what needs to be done to fight the virus, this particular record does not have any function towards that goal. Um, so. That's really interesting. Um, now that you mention it, we seem to have taken the halfway point, which doesn't really, well, I don't want to say it doesn't achieve anything. But it does serve to limit the number of people who can go out. But if you look at what other countries have done, you have France and Italy, for example, who have also issued some form of uh, past to ensure that you can come out during lockdown. But those passes that they have issued do check if you are free from the virus and it documents what you're doing, where you are supposed to go, how long you're supposed to be out, which means it has a direct application to controlling the larger pandemic. But then shifting gears a little and talking about records that probably functions better than um, this particular pass is the other thing that uh, Ira just mentioned. What is it again? Uh, or the social amelioration card form. What is it? What is it, Ira? So this is a form that is again being used by the by the government as a tool to monitor which families or which people who would be rightful to receive assistance or cash assistance from the government. So the name itself, SAC form, 
actually, I, I tried to Google it. <laughs> what, is, what does it mean? Like, it's a it's social amelioration card form. Okay, so there are different agencies that are, uh, oper uh, that are operationalizing this, this kind of assistance. So we have the DSWD, we have the DOLA, the DTI, and other, other, other agencies. So again, unlike the quarantine pass, this form or this record is standardized. So this cannot be photocopied, unlike the quarantine pass. And there are records that are needed to be submitted or proofs that are needed to be submitted for you to be able to accomplish or secure that form. So this is social amelioration program or social amelioration card form. That's the other uh, record that we're, that we're talking about here. In so have you filled up, because it's a form, so you're supposed to fill it up, right? So have you filled up? this form Actually, uh, yeah that one we we received one but we uh, intentionally gave it back to the we don't have a barangay captain here I, I don't know i don't know who our barangay captain is but there's one person who goes around our area and then distributes this sac forms but we just gave it back because we thought that there would be other families who would be more uh, deserving to, to receive cash assistance from five thousand to eight thousand depending on the um, depending on the, um, what do you call it, the, the daily wage standard in a certain city or municipality. So this form is also interesting because of, again, the forms management. They, they are really trying to capture as much information as they can about a certain family. For example, if you are the head of the family, if you, have, if you are receiving salary or not, or if you belong to a, a vulnerable um, sector in the community, you are pregnant, or probably or you are a solo parent, or you, are, uh, you have a, an illness. Okay, so there are different categories that they're using to, to identify whether a person or a family should deserve or should avail of this cash assistance. But then again, this kind of form is not just that you just have to fill it out and then it's okay. It, has, it, it can be approved, but you must present different proofs or other sets of records like you have series of records leading to the final record. So that's, that's how the SAC form works. So if you also look at the, if you also see the news uh, probably online or on, on your television, not all people who applied for it got the cash assistance. Even those who you, who you think are part of the vulnerable communities um, they, they, they did not even get um, even just a little the, the cash assistance. I so know. I don't know their criteria, the, the, criteria, the, the criteria that they used, but I think some of the reasons why they, why they did not receive the cash assistance is that there were not enough um, proof. And then um, even the, the agencies that were processing this SAC is, uh, are a bit slow. Yeah, but so that even frustrates me even more because if access to those services entails filling up the form and to authenticate the form, you need to, as you mentioned, um, submit additional records and documents, right? There's already disparity in terms of who has access to certain records. So um, individuals in the lower class by default tend to not have records. 
um, it's more it, it's less likely that they'll have a birth certificate readily available, a tax certificate or a cedula, or um, an income tax return for that matter, because they don't file taxes because they're in informal laborers, right? But then there are the ones, as you mentioned, who actually need to have access to these services. And then what we're seeing here then is that there's this individual who needs these services, but they need to provide these documents. Even though if I was the social worker, I can clearly see that the person I'm talking to needs help. And yet the social worker or the barangay captain is like, I can't because you don't have records. So it's, it's, I, it's frustrating because then we're just adding additional set of bureaucracies wherein there is an immediate need that needs to be addressed. I mean, of course, we understand the reason for this, right? It's like, of course, we want to make sure, the government wants to make sure of efficiency. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that uh, funds are traced properly and disbursed properly as well. Um, but I think there needs to be a, a better balance in terms of keeping track and transparency um, of government services and at the same time actually rendering those services to people. Um, and, and records can, as you as in this particular example, can hinder that or can help that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, using these examples also, you can see that these records are not just pieces of paper that you have to fill out, okay? So these are, again, um, tools of power, control, authority, and also these are manifestations of the lack of power, uh, even inequalities here in our society, just like what, what you said, Bono. These are the people who actually need to have access to these services, yet you're still requiring them to submit the records or documentation that they don't actually have. So you can really see, you can really see here that, you know, this pandemic and the records involved and circulating in this pandemic, these are really manifestations of the inequalities of power here in our society. As you mentioned, it just piles up, right? Like before the pandemic, there's already inequality. And also in our, in our particular um, area of research, there's already inequality to access to documents. Mm -hmm. So then it just piles up and it's, it, it exacerbates this, this, this injustice really. And these new records are not helping, <laughs> and frustratingly so. Did you fill up the form? Nathan? It's an interesting turnaround because while you don't have a quarantine pass, we were never given a social amelioration form. So you haven't seen the, that form yet? We haven't seen the form. Um, I've heard about it. I've seen uh, photos of it online, but I haven't touched it. I haven't seen it. Nobody has given it to us. Yeah. Which is also another interesting thought. How are people supposed to access the form in the first place? Um, are they assuming people can apply through it to an online portal? Or are there actually pieces of paper going around? Um, no, th these, are be um, these are being distributed per household. So it really depends on the barangay. Again, it's contextual. Just like the quarantine pass, um, the quarantine passes have to be distributed by the local government or by the barangay. And yeah, so that's how it works. So I, I think same process, same authority, but different ways of implementing it. So wait, so who who keeps the, the this particular form? So if the quarantine pass is held by uh, the person named in the pass, this form 
like the government goes to your house, have you fill it up, and then you give it back to them? Is that how it works? The SAC form or the quarantine? The SAC form. Do you give it oh, back? I think there are two copies being distributed. So you have to fill out both. So one will be uh, sent back to the barangay and the, the other one you have to keep it. So that when you go to the barangay to, um, I don't know, barangay to receive the cash assistance, so you have like another proof again that I have, I have already filled it out. So I think that's how it works. Um, yeah, because we did not also. Yeah, so maybe it functions like a ledger and then they, I don't know, like a bank ledger that they indicate if they gave you money. Is, is, okay. is so the assistance a one-off assistance or is this like a weekly, monthly assistance until the pandemic? It should be a monthly assistance for two months. From what I've seen online, the reason it's called a social amelioration card is the form is an application form to get the social amelioration card, which is mm -hmm. basically a table that details when mm -hmm. you receive the social amelioration. And then the, I think the barangay or probably the local DSWD will evaluate the application whether you qualify for the cash assistance or not. Yeah, so how about you, Bono, in the United States? So have you received any, any record or amelioration <laughs> from your government? Well, so I'm, great. I'm, 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 I'm in California, so we're, well, we're not in quarantine. It's, it's called a um, stay-at-home order. So most spaces are currently closed and we don't have access to them except if you have to go to the grocery. Um, they just opened the beaches, I think, uh, last weekend or this week um, and the parks as well with the only rule we're in. Um, you can go to the beaches, but you can't stay put. Like you, you have to be actively walking or swimming or doing volleyball. So you can't bathe under the sun or like sit in the park. The idea is that you have to move around. We don't need to have any form of record for us to go out, uh, except that we are required to wear masks, um, which I think is more useful than a quarantine pass, because a quarantine pass won't help you, won't stop you from giving or contracting the virus, but a mask will. Um, so I was just thinking about it, so like the idea of, of, of the value of, of a particular record or document during, during the pandemic. But since you guys were talking about amelioration or services, um, as a PhD student, so I also pay taxes here in, in, in the US, um, and a PhD students are, we earn below the, um, the, the minimum wage. <laughs> in set by America. So I'm considered poor, very poor in America. And because of that, I was given um, a, I think they call this an economic impact payment. Oh, economic impact payment. Yes, from Donald Trump. So this is my official letter <laughs> from Donald Trump. <laughs> wherein I got, I, I, I got $1,200 um, as, as, as a financial assistance during the, the pandemic. Um, so yeah, this is, this is my primary record that I received um, as a proof that I was given that particular assistance. Uh, so again, it's interesting that going back to the general themes of this particular um, talk of hours of documents, records, and processes of documentation during a pandemic that, uh, yeah, we can see how 
these documents and records really have different content, uh, context, and structure, uh, all tied to particular functions, whether efficiently or effectively or not, right? But what we can see is that the quality, the value, the function of a record is highly dependent on its characteristics of structure, content, um, and context as well. So these, these, these two, the quality and the function are inseparable from, from each other. I just have one question. Um, is it personally addressed to you, like the, the letter from Donald Trump? It is, it is personally addressed. So talking, so speaking of um, uh, what Nathan just mentioned earlier, it's like, uh, because it's America, so they have all their data. So it's not, <laughs> it's talking about control, right? A particular state or particular government, when they have full control of you, um, the, the physical document or record need not be visible. So the more invisible the documentation processes are, the stronger the control. Um, and connecting it in the Philippines, the mere fact that we have to move around with all of these documents mean that, means that, that the government actually does not have considerable control, but they're trying to. At least it's, it's what some scholars say, like theater, right? Like security theater, or in this case, like control theater. It's not really control, but like, a semblance or, or a performance of control. So it's a performance of control through documents. Um, and we're all, we're all part of it. And it seems like we're, we all uh, say yes to it as well. <laughs> so there's really no value if you consider it, if, if you think about it. But, uh, I think it's not just a, a symbol of control, but also a symbol of authority. The reason in other countries that digital records and invisible records work is because either people just don't have a choice to trust the authority or they do actually trust the authority. Where in here, the reason we hold on to our physical records, to our material records, is that it's something tangible that we can show to demonstrate or to serve as proof to whatever it's supposed to evidence rather than trusting in some abstract concept that you can, can't really see or you don't know if you can even trust. Yeah, so I remember, um, is it Erica Tillar? <laughs> One archival scholar said about records and authority and government, it's like panopticon. You know, the panopticon eye, it's an all-seeing kind of authority that um, the government is using. So it's like you can see the parallelism there. The, the government is using records to be like an all-seeing power all-seeing authority, all-knowing authority, so that they could control the people. And then in, in our case, they, they're also trying to control the pandemic, right? Because if they can control the people from going out, probably they can reduce the local or community transmission of the disease. But then again, it's highly contextual. It really depends on the place where these rules are being implemented or being executed. But one thing's for sure, Records here, different forms of records, different forms of documentation are really seen or can be seen as, uh, as manifestations of power, authority, and even the social realities of having inequalities and injustice. And maybe so, just, just to add to those particular themes, it's precisely because the state or the government, and even us citizens, right, we can't, we, we have this anxiety because we can't control or deal with the, the pandemic. We can't deal with the virus. 
it's 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 it, we know that it's happening but we feel um uh it's, it's we feel helpless right next mm -hmm. to it so and, and the state feels that as well and a semblance of the issuance of record or the ability to hold a particular piece of paper um gives us gives the state as ira mentioned and gives each individual a sense of control however false it might be um be, be, <laughs> Because we can control the the records, but we can't control the virus, and maybe that's what that's what we're seeing here. That's it. Thank you very much, Bono and Ira. This has been for the record. For the record is brought to you by UPSLIS. Find out more about the school on our website at upslis.info. Thank you for watching. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more fun conversations on archives and records. See you soon. Our discussion on records and archives and power will be continued next episode as we relate the agency of records to identity. See you next episode.